Please turn with me to Mark chapter 11 as we continue our study in the book of Mark. We'll be looking at the first 11 verses of Mark chapter 11. Lots of ones today. I really like that. Before we go to the Word, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Lord Jesus, as we come to Your Word, we come from all different kinds of places and backgrounds. We come from all different types of weeks this last week and even types of days this morning. And so, Lord, we pray that You would just bring us together under Your Word, that You would teach us from it, that You would convict us of sin where there be sin, that You would show us how we ought to worship You, that You would teach us Your truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we come to Mark chapter 11. It made me think of parades. We're kind of in a parade type of season right now, even though we don't get to have parades anymore. As I grew up in the town of Portageville, we had a few parades. There was one called the Soybean Festival. We like our soybeans there in Peeville, celebrating as much as that little town can possibly celebrate. We had something called the Kitty Parade, not kidding, the Kitty Parade, like little kids. There's a parade dressed up just uh, with kids dressed up, basically marching through Main Street, and we won a prize one year. It was actually we were the Smurfs. I was uh, dressed up as Papa Smurf. It's probably on Facebook somewhere. Uh, Murray has a great tradition of parades, also, or at least we had had that pre-COVID. I've always enjoyed them. The, the Christmas parade's always fun. You're getting to see all the different stuff. They've been around, parades have been around a whole long time. Pretty much as long as people have had things to celebrate, we've been having parades to celebrate them. And one of the most written about types of parades is something called the triumphal procession of Roman generals. Dating back to all the time when people started writing down things about anything. So basically the general would dress up in his really nice clean armor, his nice clean sword, his big war horse, and he would lead his army through the streets of typically Rome, and the crowds there would go crazy, it kind of represented Roman or the Roman strength and superiority over all things at that time. They thought themselves to be the best humanity had to offer. And to that end, they would even have their prisoners, and they would lead them through the streets, kind of showing all the ones that they would bring back, and those people would be sold as slaves. The picture of taking Rome to the world, which is what it was, and then bringing the world back to Rome was a very vivid one indeed. And for Rome, this was a very successful kind of thing. But like every great empire before them, they're a... Now a chapter in a history book that the great majority of people will just never read. In our text today, we have a parade of sorts, but it's not a great military parade or that of a great military general. There's no army of slaves, no armor, no swords or war horses, but there is a king. And it just so happens that he's the king of kings and lord of lords, our king Jesus. And he will ride through the town with fanfare 
but in a much different way, as we're going to see from the text. As we consider this text, I think it's important for us to not only put it in a historical context, which is always important, but we need to consider it in its prophetic context as well. Jesus' actions here weren't on a whim. He didn't decide to just ride into town a certain way. It was to fulfill the prophecies that were written about him hundreds of years ago. Prophecies were being fulfilled almost daily with Jesus at this point. This would be no different here in our text. And this is kind of representing, again, the point of no return for Jesus. as He's riding into Jerusalem as a king, and this would definitely draw the ire of the authorities that were there. So as we come to the text, I want to consider three points. The coming of Shiloh, and I'll explain what that is. The coming of the king, and then the coming of the sacrifice. And so with that, let's look together at the text. Mark chapter 11, starting at verses 1, going through verse 11. Please stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's holy word. Mark chapter 11, starting at verse 1. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives... Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied to the door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing, untying the colt? And they told them that Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And when he, and he had entered Jerusalem and went into the temple, and when he had looked around at everything as it was already laid, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. So for a bit of context here, turn with me to the book of Zechariah, which You'll find at the very end of the Old Testament, Zechariah chapter 9. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament and it's right before that. Zechariah chapter 9, starting at verse 9, it says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem. And the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. And so this prophecy here in the book of Zechariah is the primary prophecy that we find concerning this event here that we read in Mark chapter 11, which 
consequently, is recorded in all four gospel accounts. Consider the language that you see here in Zechariah chapter 9. It's messianic language of a coming king, not just any king, this Davidic, Davidic king that would be bringing righteousness and justice and that he would come humbly riding on a donkey. Verse 10 even shows us a little bit more. I will cut off the chariot and the war horse and the battle bow. He's not coming to bring war, but instead the opposite. He's coming to bring peace. He's going to take those war things away. He's coming to speak peace to the nations. This should remind us of the promises to Abram. It was a blessing to all the nations. Isaiah chapter 2, we've looked in, in that. And all the nations are coming to Jerusalem and there's, and there's peace. This coming king isn't just another human king, but he's coming to die for his people. This is going to change all of history. We'll look more at this prophecy, but it's important for us to consider this aspect, I think, before we go forward. The Bible isn't just a neat arrangement of stories that we find. Oh, isn't that quaint? The whole thing is about Jesus. Every bit of it. The Old Testament is pointing forward to him. The New Testament shows us his life as we're seeing here in the book of Mark. And then his ministry and how we ought to look back at him even now. And how we then look forward to being with him for all eternity. The whole thing is about him. If the Bible is just a book of fables that teaches us little tidbits of wisdom and how to live, we are all doomed. Every one of us. It is the very word of God concerning the coming king. And because of that, we have hope in that coming king. And that's important before we go forward. And that brings me to the first point, the coming of Shiloh. Look with me again at those first six verses of Mark chapter 11. And I'll kind of paraphrase as we go. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, and it mentions these different cities that were along the way, Bethphage, Bethany, Mount of Olives, he said to them, go into the village in front of you. And immediately as you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever set. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, what are you doing? Say, the Lord has need of it. And notice the next three verses, verses 4, 5, and 6, those exact things happen. They go and find the colt of the donkey. They untie it. Someone asks them, what are you doing? They say, well, the Lord told us to do this, so they let them go. It's exactly how Jesus had planned it. Now, we need to be careful here. This is probably a prearranged something. It's not as if the disciples just went to random house and untied random donkey. And they got away with it. There's not any theft happening here. This was probably a prearrangement. And the people in the street would have saw these guys walk up and untying a donkey. And they were the ones that are asking the questions. Mark makes a really big deal about this donkey's colt and the process of obtaining it. Notice how many times in the text that we are told that the donkey is either tied up or that it is being untied. Verse 2, verse 3, verse 5, all of them mention this. Mark definitely wants us to see the connection to the prophecy that we looked at a few minutes ago in Zechariah, right? That there is this donkey and the king's going to ride into town on it. 
But I think there's something more here as well. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 49. In Genesis 49, we're going to see another prophecy. Just a little bit of context about Genesis 49. We're going to be looking at verses 10 and 11. Genesis 49, Jacob is dying and Jacob calls all of his sons to himself. And he gives each of them a prophecy concerning what their life is going to be like. And I encourage you to read through that, to read about some of these sons. We're going to pay close attention to one of those sons that really the rest of this book is about. And that's Judah. So look at with me at verses 10 and 11. The scepter, which is a sign of the kingdom, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until... The tribute comes to him and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples binding his foal. There's the donkey again to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. Jacob may not even really understood what he was saying here in the grand scheme of things. But this, of course, is pointing forward to the Lord Jesus. Again, reading through all of these is pretty incredible to see how these things have played out through Scripture. But we know that one of the names of Jesus is what? The Lion of Judah. Jesus comes from the Lion of this son of Jacob. And it's this prophecy that we see that we see that very clearly. The scepter shall not depart. Again, pointing to this Davidic king who would reign forever in glory. And then verse 11 there, talking about this donkey's colt that was tied up. I'm fairly sure that Mark is trying to bring us back here as well. To make us see that Jesus' coming to Jerusalem wasn't just by chance. It wasn't that he just happened to be there. And it wasn't by chance how he came into town either. Verse 10 has this verse in the ESV that says, until the tribute comes to him. A literal translation here, and you may have this in your own Bibles, is this. Until Shiloh comes. This word Shiloh is somewhat mysterious, but most agree that it is a term of messianic distinction. And it speaks of peace. Jesus' coming on a colt of a donkey, was he wasn't coming to bring war at all. Though it was well within his right as the Son of God to bring war, absolutely. But remember, in John chapter 3, verse 17, what did he say? He didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but he came that the world might be saved through him. And we see this as he's coming in. We've studied the book of Revelation as well here. And we know that there is going to be a time when Jesus is going to ride in and he's going to be riding a war horse then and he's going to be covered in glory and splendor, bearing the sword, laying waste to all who oppose him. That is going to happen and Jesus is well within his right to do that as Lord of glory. Yet here he enters town 
as one who is coming to be killed, righteous and having salvation, humble, mounted on a donkey. Again, understand the contrast. He came in riding on a donkey, riding into town, knowing that he was going to die, but that he will come again one day, riding a white horse, conquering all who stand in his way. The question for us is, where do we stand on this? We've been given a commission as his people to go out into all the world, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to observe all that he commanded. So the question for those of us in Christ is this. As we go about this commission that we have been called to do, are we bringing this message of peace that Jesus brought? Or have we started the war before Jesus even comes back? It's not for us to make war against the world. Absolutely not. Against those who think a certain way or vote a certain way. Or against those who aren't as morally upright as we are. We are to be making disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them. That doesn't happen with a sword. Are we preaching a gospel of peace or some cause that we've dreamed up? So much where we've had our focuses on and think about where we've had our focus with in the book of Mark is coming up with these other kinds of gospels. And again, the truth is very clear here as well. The gospel of Jesus Christ is about peace. Peace between a creator who has been wronged and the ones who have wronged him. And that peace was made by a man who rode into Jerusalem on the colt of a donkey. The Lion of Judah from whom the scepter will never part. Our message isn't about an earthly king. It's about the king of kings. It brings me to the next point, the coming king. Verses 7 through 10. Look with me again at those verses. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it. And he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road. And others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And so we get this picture here. Jesus is coming into town, riding on a donkey. The disciples put their coats on the donkey so that they could sit on it. Others began spreading their coats on the road while some were grabbing branches and palm branches that they had laid out on the road. There's some precedent here as the Jewish people welcomed uh, Simon Maccabeus as an example into Jerusalem. They had palm branches when he came in. He was the leader of the revolt against the Greeks and he won that revolt. So for the people to do the same for Jesus, they saw him as the one who was prophesied in the places that we've already alluded to. He was coming in as the king of Israel. For Jesus to come into Israel, which was a major seat of power, not only for the Jews, but also for the Roman government, it would have represented power and authority. And they paid homage accordingly. Not only that, but they shouted from the Psalter. From Psalm 118, which we read from this morning, they shouted the word Hosanna, which literally means save us. 
Though it means save us, it was an exclamation of praise, similar to how we say hallelujah, and you see that in the Bible. So Jesus is riding on a donkey's colt into town, probably sitting on it as low as he could stand. A donkey's not a tall animal. A donkey's colt is much shorter than that. So you can imagine Jesus, he's sitting on something, but he's probably could stand up taller than he would be sitting down. People throwing their coats off, cutting branches off trees as he rides by and throwing them out in front of him. They are attributing deity to him. Save us. Blessed is the coming king. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David. This isn't news to Jesus, of course. He's not coming in as a reluctant king. We don't need to mix humility and modesty here at all. Jesus isn't saying, well, I guess I'll be king if you want me to. There's none of that. No, he is the king. He doesn't need to show himself as a warrior, though he could have. He definitely could have. He doesn't need to show himself in finery, though all the gold and the gems in the world are his and only his. He came in riding a small animal, riding over branches and coats on the ground, slowly proceeding through the city. And his followers aren't shouting at him as the one who might save them. Jesus isn't a politician that made some promises and to get elected, and now is just going to do nothing as he sits in office. So the question that we have to ask ourselves is, who then, when it comes to our own lives, who are we shouting Hosanna to? Because it's not always Jesus, evidenced by the fact that we're sinful. It's not always Jesus. For some, it is a political figure. You know, the recent election has proved that people are shouting and partying in the streets for the election of a 77 year old man who is finally going to save us all. And before you get too excited, the other side was hoping that a 74 year old man would win. Both sides have made the claim that if the other gets elected, the entire country is going to somehow suffer this incredible loss. And we're not going to be America anymore and all this nonsense that you've heard. And you know what? That actually may happen. Who knows? But both of those are just old men. They're just hirelings, really, put there by the actual king of the world. Maybe the recent news of a good COVID vaccine has got you thinking, oh, good, now we can finally feel safe again. Maybe so, but the actual king is the one who decides our length, the length of our days before we were even born. We will throw off our coats and cut off branches for just about anyone or anything other than Jesus. And before you think, not me, just keep reading, because this city who welcomes him in as king will soon shout, crucify him. Careful brothers and sisters in Christ, because we easily replace Jesus with something that we think that can help us today. We lose sight of the fact that Jesus will never get off his throne. And yet he looks at each one of us and he says to us, my child. So what should be our response? We respond to him in repentance. Ask forgiveness for worshiping other kings. Bow to the only one who can save you. Sing to him, Hosanna in the highest. And that's not just for believers, but for the unbeliever. 
He's your king too. If you're here and you're an unbeliever, even if you choose never to acknowledge him, maybe you don't want anything to do with him. I don't believe in this Jesus. That's fine. You will one day believe in him. The Bible tells us that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Rather than say to him, to have him say to you one day, I never knew you, call out to him today and be saved. He is the only true king and he will sit on his throne for all eternity, not just the next four years. That brings me to the next point, the coming sacrifice. So many times I've read through this text and I've read through many times before and something this time just kind of stood out to me. It's verse 11. Look with me at verse 11. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So imagine this, just for a minute here. Jesus walking into the temple and looking around at everything. If you read through the second half of the book of Exodus, you read through a very detailed instruction of how the temple should be built how it should be handled, the every single thing, how exactly how it should be made. Very detailed instructions. And now the, the giver of those instructions walks into the temple to inspect. Malachi chapter 3 verse 1 says this, Behold, I send him my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come into his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Now, I'm sure that the words of Malachi here in verse in chapter three have a far off realization, meaning that they will be ultimately seen in the future. Sure. But you get the feel as you see Jesus walk into this temple and look at everything that we get this feel that Malachi was was writing about here. The Lord is coming into his temple he is the bringer of all those covenant promises that we've read about not only that he is the sacrifice that will be made on behalf of his people he is the priest that will offer the sacrifice as he's looking around at the temple you get the idea that he's gathering this all in knowing how much the temple means to him And he comes and he visits, and not just as a tourist. Again, he comes as the Lord of the temple. He is the one for whom all the altars and bowls and lampstands and sacrifices, who all of that point to Jesus Christ. He is the sacrifice. He is the priest that offers the sacrifice. And he walked willingly into Jerusalem that day to do that. There's a favorite hymn of mine that says this. It's called, O Worship the King. And it says, Frail children of dust and feeble as frail, and you do we trust, nor find you to fail. Your mercies, how tender, how firm to the end, our maker, defender, redeemer, and friend. As believers, we come to the realization that it's in him that we must trust. He will not fail us. And this trip into Jerusalem is a perfect fulfillment of that. That he is coming to save a people for himself. And there were some of them alive on that day. There were some of them that were alive before that. And there are some of them that are alive today. Either way, he come to save his people from their sins. Brothers and sisters in Christ, trust in the Lord 
bow to him as your king, worship him as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Let us be a people who aren't waiting for a king to save us here, but see Christ high and lifted up. Though he rode in on a donkey, he now sits on the throne as king eternal for us to worship. Worship him today. Call a lost world to worship him also. Let's go to him in prayer. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we're thankful for your word. It's true. It's always right and good. We pray that you would use it to strengthen us, to bind us together, not only individually, as so many times our lives seem completely unraveled, but that you would bind us together as your covenant people for those whom you came to save, the ones who even now shout Hosanna in the highest to you. We pray that you would grow us together in your peace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.